everything impacts well-being and well-being is wrapped up into everything. So when I think about leadership culture and I think about its potential impact on our associates, there's so many pieces of that. So if we have a leadership culture that truly creates a just culture, that improves well-being. And if we have a leadership culture that is truly meaningfully committed to inclusion and equity, we have a well culture. If we have a leadership culture that is committed to creating psychological safety, we have a well culture. That's Dr. Maureen Leffler, a pediatric rheumatologist and the first chief wellness officer at Nemours Children's Health System. In this episode, Dr. Leffler shares our approach to improving physician well-being the importance of leadership and tools to implement systems-based changes. She discusses all this and more with AMA senior news writer, Sarah Burke. Here's Sarah. Hello, I'm AMA senior news writer, Sarah Berg. In 2020, Nemours Health System instituted their first system-wide chief wellness officer, Dr. Maureen Leffler, a pediatric rheumatologist. I'm excited to have Dr. Leffler with me today to discuss the impact chief wellness officers can make for health systems, as well as initiatives to improve physician well-being at Nemours. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Leffler. It's my pleasure, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Feel free to call me Mo. <laughs> okay. In July 2020, you became Nemours' first ever enterprise-wide chief wellness officer. How does it feel to be the first CWO for your health system? It is really an honor to be in this position at Nemours. I started at Nemours in 2004 as an intern in pediatrics and stayed put for residency, chief resident year, and a fellowship in pediatric rheumatology. And then I stayed on to practice medicine there. Um, so I've been at Nemours for 18 years, um, and I, I love working there, and I really care about the people that I work with. So to have this role at Nemours, um, where I really have learned and grown, um, and now to be responsible for the well-being of all the terrific people that work there, it's, it's just, it's an honor. It's really a privilege. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. That's wonderful. How was it transitioning into a new role while facing a pandemic? So taking on the role of uh, chief wellness officer at the you know, in the thick of a pandemic, really did present some unique challenges. Um, when I stepped into the role, <clears throat> it was July of 2020. And so we were really experiencing a lot of distress. People were really reeling, um, feeling just exhausted already, uncertain, anxious, um, isolated. People were at home. There was a lot of fear. Um, it, so it was really a really hard time for our associates. And I think a time where starting in a role like this was really appreciated. Um, it was necessary, I think, to have some, um, to have a role dedicated to putting words to what people were experiencing, um, sharing ways of thinking about that, and really being a megaphone for the resources that were available. That was, I would say, in my role of chief wellness officer that was focused on the well-being of our associates, I think those were the things that I did a lot of in the first several months, um, was meeting with groups, educating them about my role, well-being, and really normalizing what they might be experiencing um, and sharing resources. What was behind Nemours' decision to create the CWO role? 
Nemours has a physician leadership development program that they had been running annually. And there were two groups that went through that um, who focused um, their efforts on a capstone project around physician burnout and well-being. And the work product that those two capstone groups came up with was a proposal for well-being programming at Nemours. And that included um, creating and funding a chief wellness officer position. So it was really led the the vision for the position came from physicians um, who were doing a leadership training program um, at Nemours. The um, climate when I applied for this position was one of financial instability. And at that time, we were actually making some really hard decisions as an organization about some roles the executive team remained committed to keeping this position open and funded and continuing to look to hire someone into it because the organization really felt that more than ever having a dedicated role um, for associate well-being was really, really critically important. How do shifts in the C-suite, like creating the CWO role, help an organization? So I think having C-suite representation of each aspect of our quadruple aim brings a clarity of that perspective to major decision-making functions. And although I really do think that our, at our institution, our leaders are all oriented towards improving quality, safety, financial stewardship, patient experience, and associate experience, I think having someone dedicated to that in the seat just reinforces um, that those perspectives are considered in all that we do. Um, Have you ever experienced burnout? Yes, I definitely experienced burnout. And I can tell you more about that. Um, So I experienced it professionally. Um, I experienced the professional ramifications of it. And I also experienced the personal impact of being burnt out. I trained for a really long time and it took its toll. And I um, personally um, found myself feeling not very effective, um, feeling pretty cynical and feeling like the quality of care I was providing was just not always what I wanted it to be. Um, I was not my best self for all of my patients all the time. Um, Personally, um, my relationship suffered and my marriage ended. And that was really um, a wake-up call that I needed to figure out what I was doing professionally and the impact it was having on me personally. One of the things that I think really helped me to thrive professionally and keep doing the work that I had trained for forever and loved doing was carving out um, one specific task that I really, really loved, which was professional development for residents and um, fellows and chief residents and getting the opportunity to do um, chief camp or chief resident leadership training programs at the ACGME and retreats with residents and fellows across the country just was awesome. It kept me um, really excited about medicine, really hopeful for our future generations of physicians, really proud of the work that I did, proud to be a part of our medical community. 
So figuring out the thing that I love to do the most was life-changing and, and having the time and support to do it. That's really wonderful. Do you still ever experience burnout? It's such an interesting question. I, um, I don't, I don't care for patients anymore. Um, a full-time CWO and I do well-being work for the ACGME. However, (laughs) I recently did feel, um, moral distress um, related to decisions that were being made and the impact they were having on our associates. And um, I realized it was because I, I, I've taken this job with the same feelings I had about being a doctor. Um, I take it because I care deeply about the people I work for. <clears throat> and I like to think that I'm altruistic and <clears throat> trying to do good work to really tend to the, uh, the experience of all of our associates and their well-being. Um, and I felt truly distressed that some of the things that were happening were counter to what my belief was in our associates' best interest, although I could appreciate the other arguments and perspectives that were being made. So yes, <laughs> um, and I would also like to say that my role in my role, I'm responsible for the well-being of all of our associates. So I get to hear from clinical and non-clinical folks alike. And um, we know an awful lot about physician and nursing burnout. And I really get to hear from our non-clinical teams and the burnout they're experiencing in healthcare right now. So it affects everyone. Why is the culture of leadership so important for well-being? Sarah, you ask really good questions. So, um, as you all know, um, everything impacts well-being and well-being is wrapped up into everything. So, um, when I think about leadership culture and I think about its potential impact on our associates, there's so many pieces of that. So if we have a leadership culture that truly creates a just culture that improves well-being, and if we have a leadership culture that is truly meaningfully committed to inclusion and equity, um, we have a well culture. Um, If we have a leadership culture that is committed to creating psychological safety, we have a well culture. Um, We know that leadership characteristics directly impact the likelihood of physicians and clinical care team members to develop burnout. So leaders are really important. They influence so many things in just how they show up. Um, so we can't, I don't think, achieve um, these important aims in medicine, inclusion, equity, adjust culture, and really um, promote well-being and thriving in medicine without leadership that's committed to those values. Those are all great points. Um, We know the pandemic has exacerbated physician burnout and brought it to the forefront. Just anecdotally, have you seen a cultural shift? So do you mean a shift in acknowledging burnout? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, Right. So some people, I think, would say that this is a silver lining of the pandemic, um, is that we have had no choice but to address what we knew was an epidemic before the pandemic, which is clinician burnout. Um, and, and now it's just, it's so evident um, and so many people are struggling that we have no choice but to not only name it and identify it, but to 
deal with it. Um, so yes, there has been a huge shift. Um, at Nemours, I'm really proud that we measured burnout for all of our associates for the first time ever. Um, and we did that in February of 2021 in the thick of some really um, challenging times. I thought that was a um, courageous move, knowing that the information we gathered would be very sobering. Um, we also um, do a wellness survey as part of our um, benefits and wellness programming every year. And in 2021, 24% of our associates reported having anxiety as a chronic disease. It was the second most commonly reported chronic disease. That's significantly different than what was reported in 2017 when we heard from 11% of our associates reporting anxiety as a chronic disease. So I think that we are seeing um, a different level of comfort in identifying, naming, diagnosing emotional distress and mental health issues. We have resources. Resources have always been available. I think they're being more widely promoted hopefully better utilized. And we've also really broadened the types of resources that we have available and normalized those being a part of all that we do. So for example, we know that everything that's hard or stressful or challenging at work doesn't need therapy, but we do know that often people need to have someone to talk to or have it be okay to take a break. Um, and so we've seen things happen in our clinical spaces where associates are giving the gift of time offering breaks to their partner, to their um, teammates, recognizing that people are tired, that we're, we're working short, short staffed, um, and they need a break. We have peer support um, available 24-7 for all of our associates who just need someone to talk to. So these are shifts in not just acknowledging the, the, the emotional distress and some of the mental health needs of healthcare workers, but really have... Um, integrating resources into our day-to-day -day workflows, which is awesome. Right. It's, it sounds like everyone has been more accepting and people are more caring now when it comes to burnout, well-being, and other mental health issues. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Um, we talked about how you started your role during the pandemic. Can you share specific stories about any positive changes you've seen in the last couple of years, even during this tumultuous time? Mm-hmm. So the growth of our peer support program has been one major success over the past two years. At the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't have a very well-formalized peer support program, and peer support was being, being maintained by about five um, clinicians in the entire organization. Since then, we've expanded, and our peer support group includes 60 clinical and non-clinical associates from all across the organization. They, they staff five different peer support teams, and they field approximately one to two phone calls per week from clinical and non-clinical associates. So I think that's been a major win. Um, I think it has done 
I think that the success is greater than just the resource being available to associates in need. So what I mean by that is it's wonderful to have a place where our associates can go or call or talk to someone when something happens and they need to talk. It's also been wonderful to create a community that associates who want to care for their colleagues can be a part of. Um, and so I think it's the wins have been multiple. Our peer support community has also stepped up and um, started doing well-being rounding in, in our hospitals and clinics. And that's exactly what it sounds like. They walk around with a cart. They have some snacks. Um, they have our resources available, um, cards and information about all the different resources that Nemours offers. And they ask, how are you doing? What do you need today? Um, you know, when they know a, st a staff member's um, working in a short staff unit, um, has taken extra shifts, you know, we say thank you. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thanks for being here. Um, thanks for working through the pandemic, whatever it is. The other um, successful change that I've seen is um, an awareness that when we're talking about well-being, we're talking about more than individual level support. I think we're starting to see a shift that people recognize that we need to support individuals, care for emotional distress, have resources for all sorts of wellness needs, including mental health needs. And if that's all that we do, it's inadequate, um, that we really also need to focus our efforts on fixing the environment, um, looking for the systems drivers of burnout, the things that are um, just making it harder or more challenging for our healthcare workers to come to work, find meaning in work, do their job efficiently, um, and feel leave feeling accomplished, satisfied, like, like they've done what they want to do, that they, you know, train and do naturally, which is take care of patients and families. How can a physician find their own leader within themselves and how does that reduce burnout? Oh, this might be my favorite question. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I mentioned that I started, um, you know, back a long time ago, I started, not a long time ago, when I was a chief resident, I started doing work around leadership development for residents. And that really evolved into doing that work for chief residents, fellows, and residents. I've done that with the ACGME and with, um, on my own and with Nemours and other healthcare organizations. And as I was doing that work, I did it because I loved it. When I experienced that kind of training as a resident, I was so excited by it. I thought these are really important skills and tools. And, and I think that they are really what I need to know to round myself out as a physician. I have the didactic knowledge, but these behaviors, these ways of seeing a system, these ways of managing conflict, of dealing with feedback are going to make me the best version of myself that I can be at work and at home. And they're going to help me sustain myself. So I really believed that that type of work, which loosely you could consider developing emotional intelligence, um, some people call it the soft skills stuff. Um, I think that that suggests that they're easy skills. I actually think they're incredibly hard skills to learn. Um, but I, I really believe that those skills, that that scope of um, work and learning for people makes gives us the tools that we need to change our system, um, influence others, 
and build a career that is meaningful and sustainable. So how do you find the leader within yourself? Um, you know, I do believe everybody has that person in them. And I, and I think that those skills, one of my favorite things about um, the leadership development experiences that I've had and that I've been fortunate enough to work with others and providing for trainees is that these skills are learnable. You also shifted documentation from physicians to other team members, allowing for more face time with patients while accelerating administrative tests. How did you accomplish this and how is that going? I can think of two examples in our system where we've had changes in administrative tasks um, around documentation. One was for our residents. Um, Pre-pandemic, we initiated a regularly cadenced meeting with our residents. It was really similar to the GROSS program that the AMA sponsors. Thanks so much for bringing that up. For our listeners, the GROSS acronym stands for Getting Rid of Stupid Stuff. It's one program that a health system in Hawaii is using to tackle physician administrative burdens by eliminating stupid stuff to free up time for doctors and other health professionals. Yes. So um, in one week of a rotation, let's say week one, we would meet with them briefly and hand them a notebook and say, hey, write down all the things that are annoying during the day, the things that get in your way, the things that are inefficient, the things that are taking you away from the bedside um, after having introduced them to this notion of well-being as a systems challenge and um, the drivers of burnout. Off they would go to their rotations, their clinics. They would do their thing as residents for two weeks Um, And then we would come back um, and we would spend an hour during their noon lecture um, facilitating a um, conversational process that gave every resident the opportunity to interview each other about the things that came up um, and then form small working groups around common themes um, and then really bring to the surface five or six of the most commonly cited systems, drivers of burnout that they experienced in those two weeks as residents at Nemours. We, the chief residents were present for that facilitated conversation around the drivers of burnout. We would make a list of the things that they could act on. The chiefs would take it, they would change what they could, and they would report back in a weekly email to the residents what changes had been made based on what they heard. So it was a regularly cadenced, system-specific feedback mechanism and one of the things that came out of that, there were there were a few um, that were really great and that got acted on. One of them was um, an unnecessary documentation step in an intensive care unit that didn't add to patient care, didn't add to learning. Um, I think it was a senior resident note that was redundant. Um, and they were able to not just change it, but eliminate it. And so that um, increased the amount of time those senior residents had for teaching and direct patient care. Another example was... Um, we had a um, slight policy change at the hospital around chart closures and really shortening the time period within which our physicians were expected to get charts closed. So when that came out, um, we, the well-being team, tried to offer resources to physicians who we knew maybe struggled with chart closure or were going to have a harder time hitting that um, new mark. And in doing so, we met with a lot of um, docs and heard about what their limitations were, their challenges. And we learned that there were many misinterpretations of who could actually document in a chart and who could write what part of, an, of a medical record. Um, 
that these conversations led us to create a new policy at Nemours around documentation assistance. And that really freed people up to rethink who is writing in their charts and what part of the chart is being done by different parts of the care team member. So we, we helped hopefully some of those physicians um, meet that new goal of a more rapid chart closure um, with some help from others that hopefully would free them up to do the other things they want to do, which is take care of patients and um, research and teach. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's Physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. Are there other steps you're taking or initiatives you have implemented to reduce burnout and improve well-being? So one thing I'm particularly excited about is a group that we call the Wellbeing Coalition. It is made up of well-being liaisons, which are 60 associates, clinical and non-clinical, from all across the organization. They were nominated by their managers as individuals who are interested in well-being, um, not the super helpers, not the people who are already involved in everything, but people who would be um, likely to take action, to listen to their teammates, um, identify problems, take action, and solve them. So we identified well-being liaisons and have formed a coalition. The coalition has um, a monthly meeting, which happens at two different times, so more people can join us. And the point of that is for our liaisons to share the challenges they're experiencing with the well-being team and with each other, for the well-being team to share resources that we've heard about both inside and outside of Nemours, um, like, for example, some of the things um, we've learned from the AMA about um, team-based models of care. Um, and um, so sharing of information, um, also supporting one another, knowing that changing some of this stuff can be hard and being the person identified as the well-being person for your group can also be hard. Um, that group has really um, evolved. It's been really cool. We've learned some stuff that's happening in our organization that we didn't know about and other parts, other groups in the organization are now taking those ideas and adapting them to their own work unit. We have also um, um, started hearing about some really excellent examples of systems-based changes. And the group, you know, is taking on a life of their own and um, moving in a direction of owning this idea of inter uh, intervening at the systems level, um, using the idea of gross um, or the de-implementation checklist without even calling it that, without even knowing that those things existed. Um, they, they've started talking about projects that they're doing, ideas that they have that really are those types of projects and programs. So that to me is really exciting. We recently just heard from a nephrology team that due to staffing shortages, they needed to rethink how they did um, orders for ultrasounds and labs for um, routine visits for a certain subset of their population. And they would typically see the kiddo and then order this stuff and then have to follow up on all the results. But they realized with the staffing problems they were having that that just wasn't reasonable any longer. So they did it differently. They started ordering everything day of visit, 
kids would get all this stuff done. The results would be available at the time that they were seen. And it was just a much more efficient process. Um, so that was born out of necessity and <clears throat> has, is, it has been identified by them as really a well-being initiative that was impactful and effective. They then shared that with this well-being coalition who hopefully will take that idea and run with it and figure out ways that they can start doing things just a little bit differently to free up some time. Um, so that was really exciting. Sounds like you have a lot of great things going on over there. Um, throughout all this, have you encountered any challenges? Yes. <laughs> First of all, <clears throat> um, well-being is impacted by everything. <laughs> so um, it's hard not to get spread too thin. Um, I think that's probably one of the greatest challenges is um, being, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a gift. It's wonderful. You know, people are starting to say like, hey, wait a second, I think we could do this differently or we could do this better. Or we should think about the impact on our associates of, you know, these things. Um, so it's easy to get pulled into a lot of things. Um, and it's hard to, to say, I can't do that right now because I do think that all these things are, you know, really terrific opportunities to improve our associates experiences. So that's probably been one. Um, I think that, um, a challenge that, um, many of us in well-being face is shift is, is shifting the understanding of what we're talking about away from individual level wellness to systems based well-being initiatives. Um, and so I, I think that that has been a really, um, good opportunity. And actually, I think that in doing that, in really getting clear about the definition of burnout, being an occupationally induced syndrome, um, taking the blame and the assumption that resolving that lies on the individual out of the equation um, has, has paved the way for well-being efforts to be um, better received and really taken up by all different group, all different parts of the organization. Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I'm really excited about the opportunity that um, the developing field of well-being and healthcare offers. I um, I think I said this at the beginning of the interview, but I love medicine. I loved being a pediatric rheumatologist. I loved taking care of kids. I loved interacting with their families. It is a really special special job to get to have. Um, I'm really hopeful that the science of well-being and healthcare is going to make all of that better for everybody, for our patients, their families, I'm a pediatrician, um, and for the people that deliver healthcare. I think to do that, it is a, um, it's an effort that everyone can contribute to. If we just start thinking about not, um, if, if we just start thinking about the impact of what we're doing on the people delivering the care, um, consistently asking that question. I, what, one, um, one thing that I've learned is that uh, a lot of small changes can, I think, have a pretty profound impact in our field, and a lot of them are not that expensive. It just takes, um, it takes a willingness to... Um, you know, speak up, be 
empower others to identify opportunities, empower others to make the change, um, be willing to try new things. And I think that together we can, you know, start taking the steps we need to um, make healthcare a place where really most people thrive. Dr. Leffler, it was a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for joining me on AMA Moving Medicine. Thank you, Sarah. It was really fun. (laughs) I'm Sarah Berg. Thanks for listening. Until next time, please be well. You can subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts anywhere you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcast. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine. Thanks for listening.